This podcast contains occasional rude words and possibly some very wrong concepts. So you have to blame yourself for listening and we hope you have a laugh. G'day, it's the Moon Man here, Lawrence Mooney. Did you ever have a childhood dream denied but can live with yourself because at least you tried? Check out this podcast, Saturday Afternoon Fever, with Matthew Hardy and myself, where we remember what we were like as naughty kids, terrible teenagers and young, drunk, idiot adults. Hello, you're listening to Saturday Afternoon Fever with myself, Lawrence Mooney, and the author of the book... Me, Matthew Hardy. Today, Matthew, we are joined by a very special guest, one of the funniest comedians in Australia, but let me temper that intro by saying one of the funniest men I know, one of those guys that I look forward to seeing because he makes me laugh. He is uh, the star of Triple M Breakfast in Melbourne, formerly of Drive on Nova, a regular on Have You Been Paying Attention, and one of the greatest stand-ups in the country, Marty Sheegan. Oh, what a lovely, <laughs> lovely introduction. I can't not, argue with any of it. I not only... I, I felt obliged to hang shit on him to try and balance everything out, but there's nothing there. Oh, his time will come. Yeah, yeah I will not escape that. <laughs> you forgot best man at your wedding, which is one of well, my proudest achievements because what a couple of weeks that holiday was. You were best man at uh, the wedding the second time I married my wife, Lou, yes. in Positano. Yes. And uh, I was going to declare... Who does he play for? Positano. <laughs> <laughs> bombers, isn't he? Uh, I was going to declare that conflict because obviously there's a great deal of love that we have for one another. Enormous. And um, you are a funny man, though. You make me laugh a lot. And that's not a common thing. There's no. A, there's only a handful of people in my life where that happens. I know, I'm Hardy's saying. one of them. Yeah, that's lovely, isn't it? When you have Cheers somebody... That, and when you have a proper <laughs> laugh, you know, because a lot of my life is f- faux laughter and contrived laughter. Well, you... And corpsing. Yeah, but you put out a lot of content. Yes. And it has to be buoyed exactly, with, with all with of those of tricks. Yeah, all of that stuff. Do you, do you, a good one. <laughs> you could not be serious. All of that gear. Yeah. Do you, just, like, it's just an on, it's like a tape. You do, just hit play and away you go. Do you find that one of the, if there's, if there's a negative to working in comedy, being a comedian, that you uh, observe comedy, especially stand-up, more from a technical, trying to second guess where they're going, what they're going to mm. say. So I find I'm, I laugh a lot less out loud than I once did. Mm. Uh, and I'm not cynical. I'm enjoying the comedy, but I'll see people I'm watching it with bursting out genuinely with raucous laughter, mm. and I'm laughing on the inside, and I feel mm. I've lost something. Yeah, the top end. Yeah. You've lost the top end of laughter. I have lost the top end of laughter. I still find it's funny. I'm laughing on the inside, but people who, you know, have you ever been with someone who's scrolling through memes on their phone? Having a, that, having a proper laugh. Yeah, out loud. And I'll, I'll, To I'll, me, that's childish. <laughs> but I remember the first time the sort of curtain was drawn back was circa 93, and I uh, was watching Greg Fleet as a waiter at The Last Laugh. I hadn't even started Whoa. stand-up. And I was watching Greg Fleet on stage and he did a joke and he laughed at it himself. Right. And I thought, oh, he's made a bit of a mistake there. That's hilarious. Yep. But he recovered beautifully. And then the next night he did exactly the yes. same thing. And I was like, oh, no, oh, it's, oh, it's smoke and mirrors. Yes. I had, that with, I had that with Billy Connolly at the Hammersmith Odeon in 94. I booked to see him two nights in a row. And I thought the first night, because I was just starting to climb up the London sort of comedy scene. And he, he claimed that he improvised. Every I, night. I, I just 
just come along. Never knew the show. Is he Irish, was he? (laughs) He was an Irish Scottish man. Yes. But him uh, and Eddie Izzard, they purport that you can see him any night and it'll be a totally different show. And so I bought into that idea. And Mm. why wouldn't you say that? Because no one's going to come two nights in a row on the same tour to be proved to prove them wrong. And so I went there thinking I'm going to enjoy the first night just as a punter and the second night I'm going to observe from a technical perspective to see what I can learn. Not obviously Nick material, but no. what methods or whatever. What are and the yeah, tricks? And he would corpse as uh, for the punters listening that aren't into the showbiz scene. Corpsing is obviously when you're fake laughing, mm. almost hysterical fake laughing. He would corpse at his own error mm. and then he would make an error on top of that error and laugh at that and the audience would laugh at his error and his amusement at his continued errors. Aww. Then I was, on the second night... Even the, the great Billy Connolly, it was all the same as the night before. Exactly it's a little what heartbreaking, saw. isn't it? A little heartbreaking. The choreographed error. It's like you say about drawing the curtain back, yeah, and you see that it's not the Wizard of Oz, it's an old man with a loud halo. All right, let me no. get my Billy Connolly impersonation correct. Have you got enough super? Hey. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Cup of tea, George, you're yeah. fucking brand new life. Oh, you're allowed to swear here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. Oh, of course I haven't got enough super, Billy. I'm a comedian. <laughs> I don't live in a castle. Nine percent of what? If, yeah, if I retired, I've got enough for about three or four days. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Because corpsing—that's when it occurred to me that you could be an actor and do stand-up if you were funny enough. Yeah, like you didn't have to be. You know that idea that we have of a stand-up comedian—you could sort of act your way through it if you were capable of writing a routine. Because it really is that it is an act. It is an exercise in acting, uh, night after night after night after night until you start churning new material through and you learn the trade. So that's what appealed to me about it as a young bloke that wanted to be an actor. I thought I can see an in here. I can in- see that this is an act. It's interesting you say that because I can't act. I've attempted a couple of times. I've been. I've, I've done comedy festival shows where I have to, as all stand up is, recreate some moment of my previous life for the amusement of the audience. And uh, I was about two years into my London foray. Have I mentioned I ever went to London? I was on the back end of three year, uh, my first ever relationship with a woman, and uh, it was going great. <laughs> and then I, I, <laughs> is it the Jean Paul Gaultier model? Yes. Anyway, and what I got, was her name? Her name was Gina Clark, but she called herself Gin. Anyway, so I got the ass, and um, and I didn't realise that I, I probably had been expecting from her all the collective affection that I'd been getting back home from either my mates or my mm. brothers or my... It wasn't you know, on offer. No. And so from her, I was probably expecting all of that from one person. And then mm. when I got the ask from her, I felt like I'd got the ask from all those people, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. So uh, the next six months was the best I'd ever been as a stand-up for my entire life because finally, previously, I'd been talking about childhood memories because I had no real life to discuss. I was 23 or now something. you talking right? about a broken heart. Talking about a broken heart. And I was, I was just, I was furious. I couldn't believe the, the, the hardship I was facing. I felt like I was the first person ever that had been, yeah, you know. through a breakup. Yeah, right. And, and, and I meant it and, and was elevating my performance and comics were coming out of the dressing room to watch me and, and, um, and audiences were, I was getting like standing ovation. It was like nuts, right? But then, at in the seventh month, when the natural hurt started to dissipate, mm. so did the last quite dramatically mm. because I didn't have the ability you to act it. You couldn't manufacture no, it. I couldn't right. manufacture it. I realised I, I cannot act. Isn't I have that to, interesting? Well, unfortunately, yeah, because it was some of the best material I ever wrote. But back to that point of um, you saw an in as an actor, 
but you are actually a genuinely funny person. I know a lot of actors. I studied at the National Theatre Drama Exactly, School. exactly. And a lot of actors are very intense about the script. Uh, and they don't have they, funny bones. They don't have funny bones, so mm. they're not naturally funny. There are a lot who are mm. very funny, and I, I went to school with some hilarious people mm. that could make you just crack up on stage by what they were doing. Um, but, yeah, you have funny bones. Thank and you, you, wanna, you also want to hear the the audience laugh. Of course. You don't I, want to hear them sigh no. when you do your Richard Third speech. <laughs> no, I don't. You don't want that shit. You no. want to hear a thousand people barking with laughter. But I am intrigued by actors who don't create their own work. Um, I'm intrigued by actors who are not attempting to do a one-man show or a one-woman show or knock something in with a mate. Don't encourage them, mate. But I'm just I'm amazed. <laughs> I'm amazed that they don't do it. There's yeah. so much work if you're prepared to do the work. The work is there if you're prepared to do the work. And everyone's got the story. And you everyone's know, got a show in them. In your stand-up career, you kind of you know you start and then you do the the kind of intense personal story, uh, a little bit of a, a confessional, if you will. Mm. Uh, you know, for Fleety, it was 10 years in a long sleeve shirt. Um, for, you know, other people, it's coming out. It's, you know, that intense personal story. Mm. And everyone's got one of those. I would have thought so. And then it can be a bit Ted Talky if it needs to be. And you can ease yourself in and start <laughs> building an audience. You can even do a bit of PowerPoint. You can marry Ken Rosso. Are you, Marty, into uh, the great Melbourne-based writer Barry Dickens? Are you into him? I've heard of Barry Dickens. So he wrote a series of columns. He wrote a um, he wrote a famous play here about Ronald Ryan, the last person to be legally hung in Australia. Mm-hmm. The last man hanged. Hanged. Was Is that, that the, the name of the show? The play, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and he also, at different Fred times... Fred Whitlock played Ronald Ryan. I know Fred Whitlock. How do I know Fred, Fred Whitlock? used to have the Terminus Hotel. Oh, he's married to our friend... Alison White. Alison White, And yes. they used to have the Terminus Hotel down on Victoria Street. He's a VCA boy, Richmond. Fred was. Yeah, mm. terrific bloke. Yeah, lovely guy. They he were out a... at Yarra Glen for a while with another yeah. pup. Now, um, Alison White, the actress from Frontline, among yes, various yes, other right. claims yes. to fame. Yeah, uh, He um, was in a play, Fred Whitlock, called... Um, oh, It was a, a highly sexual play about... Uh, serial killer and one of his lines which I still remember he came out nude onto the stage and says to his uh, flatmate or girlfriend what do you think about my cock (laughs) 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 I reckon that's a hard one to deliver with a straight face like what do you think about my cock do you what what do you think about my cock? I'm genuinely asking. I'm intrigued because I know what I think about. It. Do you recall what do you recall what you did think about his cock? Put some pants on, goddammit. Hey, yeah. speaking of killers, mm. we are currently recording in Castaway Studios with our great mate Derek, the producer, uh, and in Easy Street, Collingwood. Now, Lawrence, can you inform Marty as to your obsession with Easy Street? Yes. In 1976, there was a double murder yes. at the end of Easy yes, Street. Yes, so I'm right down the bottom, mm. two women, uh, one of them a single mother, yeah. were stabbed multiple times. And as a child, I was 11, I became obsessed with the murder. And I cut out, I asked mum and dad to buy the the Sun at the time and the Herald and even the Age. Every day for weeks and months. Clipped you out. Were, you were into it. And, and is have, it a cold case? It is still a cold I case. I thought it was. They the, should they should the go young, through your scrapbooks. There's a clue in there. The young boy yeah. um, 
Gregory, his name was. Uh, he was two years of age and so left for a couple of days and neighbours heard him crying. Yes. Uh, that was 1976, so it's so you 36 were, you years were, you ago. You were young. Yeah, you, so you, he'd, you be were nearly, weird. he'd be nearly 40 now. I was right into it. So, yeah, pretty weird for your 11-year-old to become hooked on a double murder and create a massive mm. scrapbook about it. And I had two scrapbooks at the time. Mm. One was just full of pictures of Dennis Lilly. <laughs> <laughs> and one was full of this double murder. And Is like, it possible? Should we go and speak to someone about this mental case? And yeah. No, he'll just get into stand-up. Have, the police, right. have the police spoken to Dennis Lilly? Uh, there's no connection there, but uh, isn't that the joy of living in a town, though? Isn't that the joy of growing? You, yeah, you know the, the fabric know, of the place. You know the fabric of the city that you yeah. live in, and I guess a lot of that is in you know, Saturday afternoon fever for you. Yeah, it is growing because- up in a place, and like I think of Melbourne as my home now. And one of my great regrets in life is that I never got to grow up here, right? Because I grew up in Canberra, but I could not love this city anymore. Great so, to hear. Uh, back to the book. Uh, you're it? you're a, a Roo supporter. You're a shimboner. Great news today, so, Moon. It I'm is not sure huge if you're across news the news that we've that signed Alistair Clarkson, Clarkson for five years. And you, good luck. Well, you're hurting his feelings because he's wearing the Essendon jumper, and obviously they were vying for the. Oh, for the I great wanted man. that to happen. I so wanted that to happen. I thought this is the catalyst for us. It is the detonator. He just has to walk in. We've got a list. He can make a num a, a seven out of ten, a nine out of ten. That's what his magic is. So he what can, for Ben Rutten now? Well, we have just insulted the guy. We've said that Publicly. we don't want him. We've humiliated him. He'd be quite within his rights to walk. Surely he say, can't survive. Hey, well, he can't coach that team. Now, you know, the president who stood by him, Paul Brasher. He's gone. He's gone because he stood by the coach. The mm. coach, you know, one foot in the grave, one foot on a banana peel. He mm. has gone. <laughs> we've, but, but we've humiliated him. And you've left your run late too. And we are a it's, club it's, in it's, turmoil. It's like you have told your wife that you might stay with her, but you're going to see if this woman at work comes around to your way of thinking. No, do you know first. what it is? Oh. It's suggesting to your wife a threesome, mm. and she goes, what are you talking about? And you go, oh, I was just I was mucking, I was mucking around. <laughs> I had a couple. Yeah, but I'd had a couple, yeah. but <laughs> which is always a great excuse. But it can never be the same again Ever. once you've suggested it. Because you yeah. brought it up. Because you brought and up a threesome. you've been thinking about it for how long? <laughs> yeah. And who is this woman? And, and is it a sex worker, or have you got someone else in mind from work? Like, yeah. what is going on? Yeah. What do you mean so, my friend? Which friend? So Ben... It will be, you know, he'll be sitting in the shower with his knees up against his chest, weeping. Yeah. And someone will have to help him out of that chair and say, I mean, hang on, dry yourself off, mate, and put some jammies on. I it's time for he, an early bed. Oh, it's, it feels untenable to me. It's an early night. It's Disney on Sunday and then straight in. Big bowl Disney of pasta. <laughs> and we'll go and do something special on Sunday. You've yeah. also, you've and also, then we'll cancel that. <laughs> Poor old Truck Rutten. Oh, it's awful. You know, his mid-season wasn't too bad. After the loss to Carlton, we came out, we had five five from six. We lost that one against Collingwood. Then the wheels have fallen off. Port but was I a think disaster. His, that was a humiliation, yeah. and that was enough. But already David Barham was the president in waiting. Mm. It's been... Machinations behind the scenes. Yeah, it's been a dirty, dirty deal. Uh, we are in trouble. We don't have a coach. And Alistair Clarkson, though, has made an interesting choice yeah. to go to the ruse that mm. need a huge amount of a rebuild yeah. for five years yeah. but that's the, uh, that, and take complete control of that. That's confirmation of his 
godlike qualities if he can do it. I reckon that's why he's chosen North I Melbourne. I don't think the list is as bad as people think it is. Uh, I think there's eight or ten blokes on that list that you can build a football team around over the next couple of years. The problem is, I think pick one for us is in the high teens. We gave pick two to Richmond and pick three for us is like number 58. So if we don't get a priority pick, he's he's going to need two drafts after this draft. Yeah, but he did an amazing money ball job with the 2008 Premiership side yeah. where he picked up Hale, uh, He'll Gunston, be looking at three agents. Stewie Jew. Brian Lake, Josh Gibson. Josh yeah. Gibson, Brian Josh Lake. Josh Gibson, one of our um, boys. Big boy McAvoy. And who, Silk from... Burgoyne. Um, yeah, Burgoyne. What an amazing job he did. And, and the, he would have done all of that. He, he is not taking a job without looking at all cattle. He is not sitting at home for the last six months not thinking about what 2023 looks like for him. Yeah, plus he has already got his team together, pulled them all together, ready to go. So he's not walking in there alone. No. He's already got his coaching team. And Limo, our great friend and a friend of Saturday Afternoon Fever, was telling me he's got his stats man back, right. who has been at St Kilda for the last couple of years. Oh, David Rath. David Rath is the genius behind Alistair Clarkson, and he's coming along for the ride. And stats-wise, is, is that midweek, this is what we need to be working on with this bloke, or is that on game it's day? It's everything. Yep. Yeah, right. And also... To the minute, we've got to get that guy off the ground yep. or move him off. Because we know him. what happens when it hits this number. Yeah. All of that. And so he is, yeah, it's a beautiful mind. His garage is just full of graphs and yeah. numbers. And yeah, yeah, he's one of those guys. He's one of those guys. And he, yeah, he's. it's happening before his very eyes. And so maybe we get to see North Melbourne, who finished 18th in the eight. You know, those turnarounds happen in AFL football. Yeah, they do. Carlton, I mean... They're happening, it's happening with Collingwood right now. Collingwood, I mean, geez, they've benefited from Buckley and, and Maguire's departure. Easily. Now, you, uh, Marty Sheargold, oh. are a North supporter. We're talking about wow. Clarkson picking up a team. <laughs> now, tell us, when did, you be, when did you come to Melbourne? When did you start 90, following That's the, the what moves. I was in the process of asking. And I just man. went right over the top. Damn. 92, uh, I moved to Melbourne. 93, I started stand-up, and the wonderful Greg Fleet and Al Parks were both mad kangaroos. Al, right. Al Parks, great guy. And we were chatting out the back of the Esplanade Hotel sometime in 93, and they said, have you got a team? I said, I don't really have a team. And then that was their in, and they just wore me down over the next few hours and said, look, you've just got to be north. Uh, and it was a great time to be north because you had that team of the 90s that were just astounding. Uh, from the fridge right through to Wayne Carey, through to Danny Laidley. I mean, what a list. What, what a, a list. Let's, and John Longmire. They recently celebrated the 21st celebration of the 96 Premiership. Mm. It came a year late because of COVID. And uh, there was still talk that there was a bit of a confrontation between the King, mm. the Duck, mm. Wayne Carey, mm. considered by many the greatest player of all time, and uh, Brett Stevens, the, the, co uh, the captain. Anthony Stevens. Sorry. Anthony Stevens, excuse mm. me. And that was essentially what exploded that club after the totally, 99 grand final. Totally. Kerry had a tryst with Stevens' wife mm. and then everything broke down from there. There was a physical confrontation. Uh, Glenn Archer mm. confronted Kerry. Uh, but then you look at you know other developments from that playing group um, – Dean Laidley's transition. McKernan goes to Carlton. McKern Pagan goes to Carlton. McKernan comes back to North. Schwoss 
Schwarter battled depression. Battled depression. Very interesting time. David King, you know, uh, he, he came out pretty much unscathed. But that team, an amazing team, could have gone on for a lot longer. Yeah, there were some great stories out of that team. You, know, you look at a guy like John Longmire. I mean, what a phenomenal football career he's had. Why do they call him Horse? <laughs> <laughs> he's got the massive feet. My mum, he loves carrots. My, my mum, who's 86. But you know, sometimes those nicknames sort of become so... Uh, What's the word? They, they, they transcend the, yeah, or, the, the the world of football. Yeah. And so my mum, who's into footy a lot, but uh, you'll be watching a, a Swans game and suddenly they'll cut to the coach's box and mum go, oh, there's horse. Mm. And she's 86. And I, I think to myself, I, obviously she's experienced the concept of a penis before because she's got mm. three children. But mm. the mm. concept. Yeah. No, but I just. I, Thirsty some, is the word you're looking me, for. It makes me feel, it makes me feel squiffy. That she's referring to yeah. a bloke who's nicknamed after the size of his dick. They were a phenomenal group, though. Peter Bell, you know, some amazing footballers um, went through that club in that sort of four, five, six, seven-year window where they could have, you know, won more flags than they did. Peter uh, Bell ended Peter up Bell at the Dockers. Ended up at the Dockers. And then I think he's an administrator over in WA yes. now. So there's some amazing talent gone through that club. And were you... Uh, through, you know, it's 30 years next year that you've barracked for the shin boners. Mm. Was there a time when you were an every week at the footy kind of guy? No, there's never been a time where I've been an every week at the footy guy. This year I've probably been to eight, ten games and that would be a big year for me. That is a big year for a team so lowly and likely to get thumped. And that's why I did it because I thought, now this, This let's ramp it up. Yeah. Because if you have success over the next couple of years, you go, yeah, well, I was there in 92 uh, yeah. when we were getting flogged. Yeah. So um, I feel good about it. I've been a financial member of the club from the first time that I could afford to be, so that's been 20-odd years. And oh, that's nice. It's lovely. It's a lovely thing to have don't in you get, life. Don't you get a little bit of a buzz getting that letter from the president that you know that the other 70,000 members are getting? <laughs> <laughs> they go, dear Lawrence, and yeah. you go, yeah, you've, you've yeah. cut and pasted that. Yeah. We know that you are always going to be there for us. It's I like, know. You bet I am. Because supporters are Can the we only ones. We're the only one that, <laughs> that, that that loyalty is demanded of now in the football world. The rest of it is a business. Whether mm. you're Gil McLaughlin and you're being headhunted some corporate job as he would be now, or 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 whether you're a player who's a three or four club journeyman, the only people that are that loyalty is demanded of is the supporter base. The idea of changing clubs in life is outrageous. It's yes. reprehensible, so and I will outrageous. not try it. Well, hang on. So this year, as a Saints no. supporter, this year... What kind I, of a person does I, that? ScoMo did This that. year, mm. I, for the first time ever, I've got a six-year-old daughter, a nine-year-old daughter. I've indoctrinated them into the Saints. Uh, Good man, well done. That, well, I think it's child cruelty because, um, you know, they won... Uh, Eight of the first eleven games we were eight three till the halfway point. Took the weekend off, the forced weekend for the bye, and came back and just re- lost everything fell to apart. everybody. Right, mm. fell apart as St Kilda always do. They're consistently inconsistent, and so I started thinking, do I want to put my children through this pain? Mm. Right, and 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 well, if I can't avoid it, like you say, because I've been thinking this year in particular, how do I stop barracking for St Kilda? You don't. Oh, you can't. But why can't you? Like you say, the coaches can change clubs, the players can change clubs, supporters. Why are we forced into this uh, honor honor system in which you basically because we, you're going to almost lose friends? We are the village and we are the tribe, 
And if you take us away from football, it is meaningless. Okay. That uh, is well said. And I think it's the truth of it. And I, if your daughters weren't going to go for St Kilda, who would you want them to go for? Nobody. What about this? My eldest brother, my uh, back's for St Kilda, and he's got two sons. And uh, my other brother, Steve, got to them when they were children and said, here's jumpers, here's scarves, barrack for the Tigers. Mm. Uh, and it was the... Well, that's negligence from the father. The, yeah, it was the 90s and uh, Richmond were no good. Anyway, they both went to their dad and said, we don't want to barrack for the Tigers, we want to barrack for the Saints. And so they transitioned back to the Saints. Yes. In one of the sucked great in, sucked in, but beautifully reverse engineered yeah. from your bro. Yeah, so they went back to the Saints, and now they are Saints supporters, and they feel the the full pain. Do what are you, you talking know, about? Do, do you know anyone who's transitioned? I'm just trying to flick through my yes, mind. Yes, I do. Our, our very close friend Damien Callanan. No, no, you can't name them. Not I mean, publicly. You can name him. This is he's naming a, he's a friend. I can name and him. And what? Where was but, he? And where did he end up? He was a Collingwood supporter. Was he? And uh, he deserves everything he gets. A relative said, "You know, you don't want to barrack for Collingwood, mate. You want to barrack for the Bombers." What age is this? When he was just a, a little Attacker. kid, you know, let's say seven, eight, nine. Yeah, right. You know, when your football consciousness is just starting to form, mm. and uh, so he went for the red and black. And you know, even though I love him as a friend and I respect him as a comedian, and, and have that kind of simpatico because we went to the footy together. We were at the 2000 grand final together. Wonderful. I ended up in a fight afterwards and sure. the guy nearly bit my finger That's off. That's okay. Um, but it wasn't my fault. No. Never, never is. is, mate. <laughs> never met a bloke who's ever started a fight. No. Now, hang on. I'd, ha- I'd had a couple. Oh. I reckon. It was with an Essendon. On grand final, though. It was with an Essendon supporter outside Windy Hill. A fellow clubman. And uh, anyway, so Damien's been there through thick and thin. But still, I think I'm a better Essendon supporter. You think he's a Collingwood man? Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I think he's just dressing up. I, <laughs> I, believe you, I believe you transitioned from one team to another at some point. No, I did not. Ever. Come I, on. No. What are you talking about? <laughs> I thought you said you were originally, as a very young child, broke for the Saints. Never. 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 I was given the option outside the Ampole station in Bayswater. Mm. And at the time, and I've shown you the photos, where <laughs> they they something... had the 12 teams up. And it's Dad like said, a billboard sort of thing. Yeah, but there was a, a record cover for each team. Mm. Barry Davis was on the front. And my dad gave myself and Steve and my brother the choice because him and Christopher were already Saint supporters. So I pointed to Barry Davis because they loved the red sash. Yeah, yeah. And so um, my brother picked Royce Hart and that's how it happened. But no, never a Saint supporter. I'm going to dig into this. I'm going to go through the back catalogue of these episodes because yeah. I believe there's go- some revelation you've buried since you first announced it. Well, you can go through whatever you fucking like, mate, but I never barrack. <laughs> this is heading into windy hill yeah. territory. Yeah. You're getting very aggressive very quickly. I've had a few. Yeah. <laughs> Back to the idea of the village. Yes. Which I really like and the fact that it's a community and that if there's not if it's not for us then it's there's no club. It's meaningless. Whenever I hear an ex player talking to a professional commentator, and it's happened to it's happened to them all. It's happened to Tony Jones. It's happened to blokes on the ABC. You wouldn't know because oh, you didn't play the game. Nathan mm. Buckley said that to Anthony Hudson recently. I thought it was a disgrace. I think it is a disgrace because my explanation to the players is you wouldn't know because you have played the game. You don't know the feeling of impotence yes. and the fury of having no control yeah. from this side of the fence 
And I would put this question to Nathan Buckley or any other player that says, you know, it's a Jared Wheatley or whoever. Mm. Have you ever seen supporters go over and smile and laugh with opposition supporters after the game. Very good point. Wonderful point. Very good point. Because we have to carry that pain Mm. out and into our ordinary lives knowing that we have no control over that game. We pour our heart and souls and hard-earned money into it Mm. and you got the temerity to say to us, you wouldn't know what it's like if you've never played the game. Seriously? This, This reminds me of when I gave up on sport and gave up emotionally investing in sport. It was the 2003 Rugby World Cup final and England beat us with a field goal kicked by Johnny Wilkinson in double extra time. As somebody once said, the most masculine name of all time, named after a condom and a razor blade. (laughs) (laughs) But he could kick a footy and he had good hands. And it was at the end of that game where I was so emotionally ruined Mm. because I love all sport that I just went, that's it. I'm not, I'm not doing this on behalf of uncontrollable outcomes. I'm not doing this anymore. And 2020-year-olds yeah. 20, that don't know you exist. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, pinning your, your happiness mm. for the week and how you're going to treat your wife <laughs> on the arbitrary outcome of a game. Oh. It, it does my head in and I swear that mm. I'm not going to let it affect me emotionally. Mm. Next thing you know, I'm swearing at the telly. I'm swearing at the telly, but I'm sort of half acting at the telly as well. You know, uh, I'm I'm totally into it, and this year I've been reconsidering not just like how do I stop barracking for my team because it's causing me too much emotional d- distress, but also how, at the age of recently turned fifty three, am I allowing myself to have my moods entirely dictated by the result of a football game? Like it's embarrassing, mm. but it also it's so enjoyable. It's like mm. watching a it's like watching a movie without a script. You know, or a brilliant band on top form mm. every time I see a football match, especially if it's a good game. And I watch all the other games that my team doesn't even play in and become emotionally invested in that. What to about some this, where you go, righty I, I reckon we're a real good chance this week. I'm going to sit down in front of the TV, 3.40 Sunday, and uh, watch the game. I'm going to open a can, and, uh, you know, there's the preamble, and the crowd's there, and the ball gets bounced. And quickly out of the centre, Port Adelaide kicked the first goal and you just go, oh, fuck. <laughs> fuck this. I'm off. I'm going to mow. <laughs> How many times have I left the fucking TV to mow? <laughs> and you storm out and all of a sudden, uh, Essendon come home with a wet sail, kick seven in the third quarter and you feel like you you're a disgrace. <laughs> yep. You've shamed yourself. My brother left the Sydney cricket ground when Steve <laughs> Waugh got that ton off. No, the he did Yeah, not. he did because he wanted to get a cab. No. <laughs> He's like, there's no way. There's no way you'll get a touch. No way. And he's out in the cab break and he hears, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, those moments that you miss. I was at the Anzac Day clash when Zaha Rakas kicked that winning goal. Mm. And Essendon supporters were streaming out of that game because it had also started raining. So there were two reasons to leave. We're going to lose. Bit of wet Let's weather. get home early. Get dry. It is, you know, work tomorrow. And it's a big Anzac Day crowd. I left the cover and went down and sat in the rain yeah. amongst Collingwood supporters. Ooh, provocative from you. I didn't start it. <laughs> I'm just sitting there <laughs> and he comes out and kicks that goal and the rain is coming down it was the best feeling joy just the, oh, pure the saturation joy. pure joy 
And I just thought about those people who were leaving and they would have heard the big... Yeah, yeah. It's like, what was that? That was you missing a sporting glory moment. Yes, I had a friend who was in the toilets when Warren took his 700th at the MCG (laughs) having a piss. (laughs) Why would you go to the toilets when Shane Warren's got the ball in his hand? Because he was one ball away from taking a wicket for his whole career. Unless, unless was that on Boxing Day? Because he would have had a guts it full was. of grog. It was Boxing Day. He would have had a and guts full of grog, grog that just was not going to hold back any the further. The famous image of uh, Shane Warne taking the big bow. Yes. And, you know. Uh, Doff, doffing his cap. And, yeah. To us. Valet. Uh, Valet, too early, indeed. 52 years of age. At this point, Marty, another part of this book and this podcast, Saturday Afternoon Fever, is not just uh, my futile attempts to try and become a football player, yes. but it's also a rites of passage tale where a lot of uh, our lives' first specific moments have taken place. Yes. And uh, we're about to ask you if you want to recall a number of your own. Oh, this is fun because I had this idea, right, to do this podcast where I was going to do first. No, I was going to do it as a live show and I was tell- recounting that story to Moon. And Moon goes, you know, that's what Matthew Hardy's done. I go, no, I did not know that. And immediately <laughs> You said, I'm going to have to have a chat to I just Hardy. went, oh, well, there goes what well, I But well, I said, it's not. Like, you can't claim ownership of rights first. of passage, can you? No. Oh, it's an interesting area, I reckon, parallel coincidence. If you find out someone's done something because before you've gone nose to the grindstone, I think it's an interesting conundrum. Well, well it's an interesting conundrum if the second iteration of that is massively famous. Yeah. If you've done a, a yeah. story about somewhere on the outskirts of the universe, a princess gets saved by a bear and a gay guy flying yeah. a flying saucer yeah. and then Star Wars comes out mm. <laughs> that's close <laughs> <laughs> it's only if the second iteration is massively successful do you care you just go oh that's my idea yeah yeah because wasn't there always that thing that vibe around spicks and specs wasn't that a thing wasn't that somebody else's idea and then ne- they... never, never mind the buzzcocks never mind the buzz. I'll that's... tell you about a little story of football reenactment Oh, like the Toyota campaign that Cuz used to do with old mate Dave Lawson. Dave Lawson and and Stephen Curry, and they do a great job, and some of those are fantastic. Well, Damien Callan and I took an idea to what was then Optus TV. Yes, I remember Optus TV. Of a footy show that would have reenactments, and we had Wayne Harms on a slip and slide, one of us in the back garden, slapping the ball back into play. Isn't that fun? And it is funny how... uh, Original ideas can occur to two people at the same time. Mm. I, I also did that for an ABC TV series that I was the uh, head writer and uh, regular panellist or roving reporter for called The Fat, hosted by Tony Squires. I remember The Fat. Yeah, I did w- The Fat once. Yeah, yeah that's Great right. And we we yeah. did some recreations as well, but it, right until this minute, I haven't aligned it with what became the Toyota commercials. Well, so. the other recreations were the sort of um, New- Newman and Badil. Remember they used to do the yes. Rising Phoenix that's one? That's right. It was a bit of an EPL thing. Oh, you mean yeah. Frank Skinner and Badil. Frank yeah, Skinner sorry. and Badil. Yeah. Yeah, what was that called? That was called fantasy football. Yeah, fantasy football. And uh, had a, they did it on a couch for a World Cup, and then it just became a massive thing. Mm. So let's go through. Let's some go of through your first. Let's go through some of my first. So they're pretty basic. But do you recall your first kiss? Yes, it was at a Eurogliders and Wawani concert. Oh, wow! Now oh, I so barely, you, I you barely left a late with, <laughs> a, with a girl called Anita Houlihan. Wow, Holy she dooly. was drinking white wine out of a goon sack. Brilliant. And we got into the bushes and passed, and I was like, this is outrageous. <laughs> what is all this? Eurogliders. And I was fully and what, 
dominated. I've just got to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Heaven. And Wawani, what was their big hit? Satisfaction was there. Yeah, that's right. Satisfaction. Yeah. He's no longer with us. Isn't he? No. Wawa or me? Mr. Wawa. Right. Um, So hang on. How old? old? I reckon it would have been 13 or 14. Whoa. And in terms of a proper kiss. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When you say you were dominated, dominated in the, in the kiss. Dragged into the bushes right. and pashed by a woman. God bless that girl. Yeah, oh, Anita Hulane. That first pash is mm. just amazing. It's like there's somebody else's tongue in my mouth. And it was wet. But I also want this one in my mouth. And it was warm. <laughs> not a scout leader. And it was something I'd not experienced <laughs> apart yep. from Father Patterson, of course. <laughs> one of the great kisses. <laughs> Pato! <laughs> really? Really, Pato? I've got PE. It's you or Mr Ferguson. <laughs> Uh, uh, I, I, none, none of the priests or brothers came anywhere near me because they knew that I would love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you're a Bayswater boy. Is that all you got? Oh, you're a dirty little boy. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, uh, all right. It's fascinating how quickly you answered that. I'd barely finished the last syllable of the question and you've I've done right I've never forgotten in. it. Right. Mm. Um, your first job, be it part-time or full? Uh, it's probably a toss-up between working at the BP service station and doing the milk run. The milk run. Tell us about the milk run, Marty, because it milk captures run was my hectic. imagination. Dad used to drop me at the milk depot at about five, five to five of an afternoon, and you couldn't pull the milk out of the freezers till five. Uh, that was by law. And then you'd load the milk into the back of your truck, slide it across the con concrete floor you know you'd have 10 10 crates high of milk full full truck of milk uh, glass bottles with silver glass foil, glass silver bottles foil in tops. those days you had the red the blue the gold there was right. one woman who had goat's milk and we used to laugh <laughs> we didn't understand goat's milk she's now 120 <laughs> <laughs> and away you'd go and i'd get dropped off by the truck back in my suburb about 8 8 30 that night and you'd spent three hours running around with crates full of milk all night and so how fit were you super fit we used to smoke we used to smoke and run. We were so fit, so fit, so light, like lean. Edwin Moses, the great. Uh, I would have been 60, hurdler. sixty-two kilos and could have run all day with a with a beanie covered in sour milk. <laughs> I was running from my beanie. Right, the smell of it. <laughs> so, did you wash that beanie or never? Was, right. So the cheesiness was part of mm, the deal. I felt like Richard Wilkins. You know, uh, Doug Anthony All-Stars used to speak of the stink of those bolero jackets they yeah, used to wear. they never washed them. Never washed them ever. Repulsive. That's that's what, that's how they got the semicircle when they were doing busking because no one was game to stand any closer. Yeah, they were filthy, those boys. Yeah. So that was the milk run. Okay, um, first uh, fight. I've never had a fist fight. I've said this to Moon over the journey. Not even with siblings, neighbours, schoolmates. No, I've never had a. I've never thrown a punch in anger. What I've about, on, what about on the sporting field? Yeah, I've had scuffles on the. Yeah, sp- but you know, but it's never get toe stopped. to toe. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's part of the joy of trying to have a fight on the sporting field. Yeah, first you know that sooner or later. Yeah. Wiser heads are going to prevail, but you are actually a smart person. Yes, you know how to avoid yes. that eventuality, as opposed to he and me. Um, all right. So, um, first time you were disgracefully drunk. Oh, disgracefully drunk. I remember being at my mate Bob McBride's house, and we had a bottle of OP rum, which his friend Ian Gordon had gone up to the shops to buy for us. And I was so drunk, vomiting off the back <laughs> of his deck, about twenty feet down onto the edge of his pool. And then I ended up with a plastic bag that someone had given me to vomit into. Oh, it was horrendous. Rum. Rum, rum is OP awful. rum. 
Oh, God, that sickly sweet taste of rum and coke. And that, uh, you, I, I know that you don't deal with hangovers well. At all. That's part of my problem is that I don't really have a hangover I, I, or, or a conscience. <laughs> I don't have a conscience, <laughs> but so, I'm not great with hangovers. And so that would have been a royal hangover oh after Oh, my a God, as a kid. Yeah, just in the fetal position. Oh, God, I was so drunk. I'll never forget it. Mm. And I, I remember Dad picking me up from a pool party once when I was about 16 or 17 and just in the car, I was getting the sweats. <laughs> and I wound my window down in the Nissan Pulsar. And then I just got my head out in time to vomit all along the side of the car as Dad was driving me home. And he comes down to my room and he goes, that vomit stinks of alcohol. Have you been drinking? And I went, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Might have had a glass of cherry. <laughs> the, Someone uh, spiked it. The loss, the loss of, your, of your virginity? Uh, that was not until I was much older probably towards the end of school. And I'm not even counting it, actually. I, I think I'd have to push into first year uni um, for that. At what age? I was 19, just... Oh, 19. my first year at uni, I was 32. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been 18 or 19. I would have been 18 Well, wow, so we're all quite late virginity losers. Well, it, well, I was at an all-boys school for a long time. and we didn't That's have, no excuse. But we didn't have a lot of contact with um, with the girls' schools. You'd have a couple of dances a year. And, mm. and what were the circumstances surrounding it? Was Wawane or Eurogliders involved in that one? No, it was a fumbled, it was a fumbled sort of nobody's home type arrangement right. under extreme time pressure waiting for everyone to oh, come yeah. home. You got a shoehorn? Yeah. <laughs> so that was... That was... Um, that was um, needlessly traumatic if I put any sort of planning into it at all it could have been a far more enjoyable experience oh I think that the youth of today benefit very much from the open conversation whereas we were like is this even right are we allowed to is that oh, it's, it's, it's astonishing in hindsight how little if not zero knowledge we had we were we were shown some uh you know, pencil drawings of ovaries. Yeah, yeah. And then, There's always ovaries. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> a, and a flaccid penis. Yes. Yeah, uh, a, a side view yeah. and the the arrow coming out of the testes and then going up. And so, yeah, yeah and, that's, and that's where that comes from. Yeah. So anyway, let's do some maths now. Yep. Does anyone know the capital of Brazil? <laughs> Is it vast difference? <laughs> <laughs> Your first car. So is that called the glands penis, the top <laughs> bit? So enough of that. The mons pubis. Yes, that's uh, Gerald, Geraldine Hickey. The does some great, Ger, Geraldine Hickey does some great mons pubis stuff. Does she? Oh, amazing stuff. Anyway, first car, please. Am amazing For, mons pubis. Yep. Uh, first car was a 72 Super Beetle Volkswagen bought off Bob Franklin's brother. Bob right. Franklin, one that of the greatest white, comedians that ever. White, that white bug that I owned. And so he that said, belonged to Steve, did it? No, it was. It was. Um, that's Bob's older brother. It was. Is it uh, Bob, Stephen, and um, the other brother, who's a lovely man, whose name I can't remember. Well, and he I wanted eleven hundred for it, and right. I said, I don't have eleven hundred. I have nine hundred, and I think he thought I was negotiating, but I had nine hundred dollars, and that was it. Right. So did Bob ever have that car? No, Bob had a he had a beige uh, Beetle, right? Because the Beetle, just a beautiful car, very functional. Now, 
Right. Did you ever have sex in that car? No, God, no. Oh, I tried to once. Oh. Oh, separate story. Uh, it's all got, to, all got to be big on me, <laughs> quite, quite literally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it was a good car. It's, it was a good car. It was a good car. Its fuel gauge didn't work, and if you accelerated too fast, its accelerator cable would flip over, so it would... Oh, no. You'd have to put the clutch in, turn it off, Get out, go back around the back, flip the cable back over, and get in again. Right. It was like Craig Lowndes at Bathurst, the acceleration control it took to drive that car. <laughs> I, I mean this to be a compliment, and, but Bob Franklin would possibly be every comedian's favourite comedian. Is that correct? Well, he's a wonderful comedian. Brilliant. Oh, Brent, absolutely sensational. Wonderful yeah, comedian. one of my favourites for right. sure. Okay, to, to close with him the, at the Harold Park in, in the sort of mid 90s, there was no one funnier. In a generation of very funny people. It's the style that I love about Bob. Uh, regardless of the room he goes out into, he has this very quiet, measured response and the, he brings the crowd in. Whereas I'm mm. a bit, hey! Uh, bringing yourself to the crowd. Bringing myself to the crowd. He like, draw them in. I don't mean the Harold Park. I mean that pub in South Melbourne he used to live in. The Star and Garter. The Star and Garter. I was thinking Har- with Jim Owen. Harold Park, Sydney, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Harold Park's in yeah. Globe. Which is kind of the equivalent hotel for the amount of comic talent that it produced and at I, the time. And I think the Harold Park's gone now too. The Star and Garter is now terrace Apartments, houses. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I think the Harold Park has gone. Mm. Um, and last but not least, your first broken heart, Marty. It was a, it was a, I won't tell you her name because we're still mates, but she knows she's my first broken heart and we'd just gone through the first year of acting school together. And Amanda Vanstone. <laughs> it was Amanda Vanstone. She's a wonderful lover. Good on the tooth too, it has to be said. Well, yeah, just loves the Italian. <laughs> and how did that manifest itself? How did you get through it? Um, I went to Thailand for two months on my own. Wow. And drank right. song tip like it had just been invented. And every time I smoked a joint, I'd go and bury the little tin that I had my joints in down on the beach so I couldn't get arrested by the Thai police. And if I wanted to have a joint, I'd go and dig up my tin and get a joint out of it and then just head out into the ocean because you could because it was only three foot deep for about 80 metres and just go and stand out there and smoke a scoop, flick it into the ocean and get back on with me day. Oh, and so, very nice. And so she dumped you? Dumped me like a sacko. Ah. Oh. In fact, her new boyfriend rang me on a landline and said, what, what's going on? I go, what? what? What do you mean, what's going on? He goes, oh, be good if you could wind it up with old mate because I've started seeing her. I go, you what? You what? You've started dating her, but she's still my girlfriend. Oh, yeah, but she's going to tell you surely that that's not a thing anymore. What? He dumped you on her behalf? <laughs> he dumped me and on he, her behalf. Did you say he's never thrown a punch in anger? It was a landline. <laughs> it could have been anywhere. That is extraordinary. That's outright. I've never behavior. heard of that. Never yeah. heard of that in my life. No, it's extraordinary, isn't yeah. it? It was painful. Of course it was. She, because she, she then did... there was all the betrayal and the conspiracy that must have taken place yes. before that phone call. Oh, did she get around to Fuck doing her? Yeah, she got around to it because obviously I had to mention it when she got yeah. home. <laughs> Just taking a call from Stephen. Stephen. <laughs> I still remember his name. I bet you do. Stephen. Stephen. Stephen needs a hiding. That's bad. That's bad form. Mm, not, st- not a Steve, a Stephen. Stephen. Mm. Wasn't my brother, was it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> if it was, I would have been okay with it. No worries, Moons, you're right. Um, that's about it. We've summed you up 
We've, we, well, everything fi- that finally, everything you said first, about him. First gig you ever did, Marty. Gig. When you point. walked on and you said, that is a stand-up June gig. June 93 at the Esplanade Hotel in the Gershwin Room. Right. I just turned, maybe just about to turn 21. Yep. Young and, boy. And uh, had to borrow a shirt off my housemate, Dino Glennon, because I didn't have a nice shirt and I thought I should wear a nice shirt to do yep. stand-up. And he was about six foot six. So I rolled the sleeves up so much, it was like I'd put baby floaties on my arms. <laughs> That's how thick the sleeves <laughs> And so... How First one was great. You'd been at the the um, last laugh, You'd watching met, guys, watching guys, hanging around the dressing rooms with guys like the Found Objects, right? Uh, Fleet, Brad Oaks, Shane Bourne, uh, uh, the scared, uh, weird little guys Marty, were all rolling Marty, through. So the Found Objects were the precursor to Lano and Woodley, correct? Yes. yes. And there was a third party. There was a third guy. Scott was his name. Okay. And he followed his girlfriend at the time. Um, to Alice Springs because she was a nurse. She wanted to go up there and he thought, I'll support her career. Mm. And uh, left a lot of money on the table. Yeah. Yeah. Lane on Woodley, the rest is history. Mm. So, 93. Next 93. year, celebrating 30 years of stand-up comedy. So, hang on. Comedy. The first one went well, which leads me to ask. The second one was a disaster. Okay. Same room and just the chat started up the back and by the time I'd finished, everyone was chatting. But they were a very polite room, the Gershwin. They weren't a... A go fuck yourself room. They were just a you know. I'm going to lock. I'm going to go to the bar. I'm going to get a bar. I'm going to have a beer. Do, do you want a beer? Do you want to smoke? Should we have a? Yeah. Should we have did a you do stuff about the dog? Spliff? Did you do stuff about the dog biting the water stream from the hose? No. I reckon that was probably Bedwell. Oh, it was because the first time I discovered Marty was from London when uh, I think Dave O'Neill sent me a CD, which was the best of the Gershwin Room at the Esplanade. Right, okay. And uh, you were on it. Right. Forgive me for mistaking material that somebody else delivered. No, I'd uh, still be doing it if it was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and why, why, and why not? Why not? Gold well, is gold. The person that just interrupted our uh, discussion earlier by calling me is Janelle Koenig, a great friend of ours, who... Uh, Koenig, who uh, supported you yes, on a recent Perth tour. recently, yes. And uh, then she regaled me for about an hour, bored the shit out of me after a while, about how brilliant Marty Sheargold's current stand-up yeah. is. You mm. can only hear so much talk about how good another stand-up is. Mm. Yeah, and then you just go, okay, I've, I reckon I've had enough yeah. now. <laughs> but we're all good. So yeah. it's sort of yeah. like, you know, define, no, define good. You are obviously extra... But it's also nice to hear... Uh, a contemporary or even a close friend absolutely munch it. <laughs> <laughs> but I always feel like the fact that guys like us, particularly even guys like the three of us that are still around punching on, you know, that in itself is a feather in your cap. Yes. You know, oh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of guys lot we've seen fall by the wayside over the years that were very talented. And some great jokes that have gone with them too. Mm. Um, Mark Pengilly, the brother of Kirk Pengilly, mm. uh, was a pun maestro, and his whole Act. show was puns. He was a pre-Tim Vine, Tim Vine. And yes, that's right. And uh, one of the greatest jokes or word plays of all time that I've ever heard is um, there was recently a survey of uh, corpulent people of no sexual predilection, and by and large, they were found to be bi 
and large. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it a ripper? It's unbelievable. Yeah. And whenever like I hear as that, he was writing that, he must have been, he must have known by and large yeah. was up that end. Yeah. He's like, how do oh, I get it there? Yeah. <laughs> up so that end. Whenever I hear someone say by and large, I laugh. They go, what, what are you? So by and large, it's like by and large, they were by and large. It's, yeah. it, it's still great to be a fan of comedy whilst also working within yeah. comedy yeah. because we love it. Yeah, we it's do. A, it's an art form. It really is, and we've all, in one way or another, given <laughs> our life to it. Well, I'm not even rich or famous, but I've made a living doing nothing but comedy for yeah. 30 years. It's astounding. Yeah, yeah it's, it's astounding. ridiculous, isn't it? I do love sitting around and, you know, maybe having a bit of a joint and a few beers and reliving some great moments of other War people's. stories, yeah. But also the great material that has mm. gone by the by. Mm. I was telling Matt Hardy today, whenever I go over the Westgate Bridge, there was a comedian called Richard Franklin mm. who was really good but always kind of part-time. Mm. And he always used to do that joke about going over the Westgate Bridge and there was a sign saying, secure your, your load. And he goes, I like bridges, but there's no need for that. <laughs> 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 now speaking speaking of backstage uh, mixing with other comics you two blokes are about to do what I think is the biggest box office draw card tour in my lifetime uh, the great Artie Lang promoter extraordinaire mm, mm. who also manages your affairs and yours Marty when it comes to live tours yes. uh, has, has assembled an Avengers style lineup of Mick Malloy Sam Pang uh, Marty Sheargold and Lawrence Mooney I I'm going to buy a ticket. I'm not even going to try and scab you one. You can't buy a ticket because it's, it's sold, sold out. out. 12 dates sold out on a Monday morning. And people are calling it the Travelling Wilburys yeah. of Australian comedy. Yeah. So I just wonder, who's Roy Orbison? <laughs> oh, which one's a... going to die? Hey, which one's going to die? <laughs> look, it's an exclusive to your listeners. I've heard a rumour that there may be shows added early next year. Uh, so of course there will be. Don't feel as though you you know you've missed the whole you've missed the whole cruise. But if you want to get in early, go to the A list website and put your name on the waiting list there uh, mm. because I do believe there is potentially seven dates coming out in 2023. So let me ask you this: mm. Who's going on last? Moon is. Um, because who's following Moon? Oh, good point. Do you know what I mean? Good point. But that's, the other conversation... very nice of you to say. The other conversation Moon and I are having in is Moon's like he's going to wear his suit doing it and he's all over it. He's like, you're still going to wear your polo shirt, your jeans? <laughs> what do you think? Are we wearing suits on this tour? Uh, me? No, as in the show, the comedians, because the image for it is it, that Rat Pack style. Vegas, mm. yeah, bad guys. Does it and need so to should be... we deliver that on stage? I think I think you need the tuxes. The tuxes? Yeah. I wasn't thinking tux. Yeah. I it's mean, either it's either tux it's either tuxes or not at all. It's certainly reservoir dogs, black suit, yeah. white shirt, black tie. Well, well that's how we always did um New uh, Joke City. New Joke City. And it was and it was a show from the beginning because you'd see these three really good-looking young comics, Marty Sheargold, Matt King and Greg Fleet, come out and do New Joke City. And it was... It had a sh- it was a it, show. It, it was a show. And Would it you had accept a, feel a black of an- shirt underneath the suit? Yes. I, just I, to hide some... Yep. You know, oh, yeah. hide a couple of hide your gut. kilos. Yes, easily. And it, you've but just reminded you, me... When you say a couple of kilos, you went off the booze for 12 months mm. and... You trimmed right down. So what the hell have you been up to? <laughs> well, I got back into Fisk, filming Fisk, and it was all catering. And, and catering? I've just pulled pulled the ripcord again. But this is what I do. It, it, you have an amazing ability to shed weight mm. 
and then, put it on. And then to reacquire that weight because a couple of years ago you lost 30 kilos. I go through phases of really loving tight structure. Yeah, you do. I really love tight structure. You love discipline. Because if I get loose, I get very loose. But then you love that looseness too. I love that once, looseness. Once the discipline's over. Mm. So you're very much like a sailor on shore leave. I really am. <laughs> when you're out at sea, mm. it's all I'm about good. let's sail this thing and get it done. Mm. But when we're... When we're in Manila, <laughs> I'm your guy. <laughs> Hell of a long way to go for an envelope. <laughs> That's why he's closing the shows. No, I think Moon will close and Mick will MC and then Pang and I will have a run at it. So it'll be fun. We were going to do half an hour. We've done an hour. Marty Sheargold, thank you for joining us on Saturday Afternoon Fever. You're Pleasure. an ornament. Pleasure. Uh, you're one of my best friends and I love you. Thank you, mate. I love you too. And it's always lovely to see you, Matthew Hardy, always. Whenever we see each other, we have a laugh too. We do too. Thanks for coming along and joining our podcast, Marty Sheargold. Okay, that'll do us, Lawrence Mooney, for today. I am having a ball, so uh, please join us on the next episode and tell your friends. Bring some friends along. Thanks for joining us. Okay, if you haven't given us a rate and review, now's the time. We're counting on you. Ample. Hear, hear. Is this thing on? Yeah, that's on. Don't touch that.